0: Well, Graham Codrington is a futurist, a scenario planner, and an expert on the future of work, something we've spoken about a little bit in the first weeks of January 2024, with his six best-selling books to his name. He also has clients that include some of the world's most well-known companies, and he helps to develop scenarios for them for the near future understanding disruptive change and becoming more adaptable, something all of us, whether we're a big business or not, will need to do so that we can handle what actually happens. So great pleasure to welcome to the show, Graham Codrington. It's nice to see you, Graham. How are you? Uh, it's
1: great to be here. All good. Thank, Thank you. Thank
0: you. No, thanks for being here. It's always good to check in with the people who are keeping an eye on the future and making sure that we are at least a little attentive to the changes that are happening at such an unbelievable rate that it's very, very hard for us to keep up.
1: Yeah, and I like the way that you phrase that. You know, some people look at my business card, I use the label futurist, which yeah. uh, I keep debating with myself whether it's a clever label because I think some people think I've got a caravan. Yeah, they you think know. you're
0: a, a gypsy with a crystal
1: ball. It, exactly, you know, and <laughs> nobody can predict the future, obviously. I mean, if I could predict the future, I wouldn't be here, all due But respect, it's an interesting
0: you know? category of, of people that you belong to if you call yourself a futurist. I mean, there are... There are real wizards who have, in some ways, predicted technological advances. People mm. like Ray Kurzweil, who I've read widely, and I think a lot of our listeners have. But these are people who have paid an enormous amount of attention to what is going on and how technology is developing at a rate of knots and how it may eclipse human performance in various industries. I'm sure that's part of what you do as well.
1: Absolutely. And obviously I keep my eye on those people as they keep their yeah. eye on sure. on the future. But Ray's a great example because he, he wouldn't claim to predict the future. He's involved in creating the future. Yeah. Uh, you know, with Singularity University, that wasn't really an attempt to ask what's going to happen. It was an attempt to gather some of the world's cleverest, smartest people and say, let's make the future happen. You know, let's build it. And for me, that's really the heart of actually what I do is I want people not to try and think, oh, let's do a better job of creating certainty for the year ahead, but let's do a better job of imagining what's possible. And then as far as it's up to us, let's build some of that.
0: Well, you're publishing a book uh, later on this year, uh, do you want to tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's a, the title is very sexy and catchy. How to think like a futurist?
1: Yeah, well, I'd, I mean, honestly, I've just given you the summary of the book and what I've said. Sure. Because again, thinking like a futurist is yes, number one, you can do a better job of anticipating the future than most people do. Most people are way too surprised when things happen, hmm. and you know we can we can do better than that. Do we? Do we just
0: have an inbuilt Um, capacity to try to imagine things and kind of take a lot of our baggage from where we're at and and, and project that into the future because it makes us feel comfortable. It's stuff we know.
1: That's exactly it. And so your experience, your expertise, your education have all helped you to focus. Mm. And that's helped you to get where you are in life. So you rely on it, you trust it. The smarter you think you are, the more likely you are to trust your brain. And that makes sense. Right. And
0: sometimes for for smart people in particular, that's a bit of a trap.
1: Uh, Exactly. Because, well, it's not a trap if tomorrow is going to be the same as yesterday. You know, if you're working at McDonald's, you make the burger the same tomorrow as you did yesterday. In fact, that's the point of your job. (laughs) Um, But uh, (laughs) how many people live in that world? How many people live in a world where we can expect tomorrow to be uh, the same as yesterday? I I mean, you're a great example of somebody who looks at the industry of creating audio and visual information and you keep saying... How do we do it differently? Um, And do we have to keep sticking to the traditional ways of doing it, the traditional media, the traditional approaches? And then you look at every single part of every single business and you say there must be different ways to do this. And on that
0: note, there's going to be some changes this year. Keep an eye on us because we're going to be moving in precisely the unplanned, uncharted direction that so many other people are well, talking about. We've you got to you do
1: almost it. don't need to make that announcement no, no. because I think that's, if, what happens. Th- that's what happens. <laughs> and that, that's part of, I think, why, why people listen but along and But it is follow. a
0: curious thing yeah. that there are so many people in business in particular, and you consult to a lot of businesses, who are pretending that they're paying attention to these things, but they're not, they're not actually implementing or executing any of those well-thought-through plans about what the future holds. Most of yeah. them are just sticking to their
1: knitting. Yeah. Don't you think? Well, that's then the second thing. So, if, if we're stuck in a way of thinking, and stuck, uh, stuck is a bit rude, I suppose, in terms of. You hey, know, we've
0: all, I've felt stuck before.
1: Yeah, but you're not stuck if you're top of your game you know. So there's a lot of people who are good at what they do. Mm. Personally, they've made it in their careers. They're driving the car they always dreamed of. They're making more money than they could have imagined a few years ago. And businesses are in the same place. They, they're they in those league tables. We're number one or two in right. our industry. We're ahead of our game. But then what happens? What happens is you get a little bit uh, complacent. You get yeah. a little bit, and again, complacent is a rude thing to say of somebody who's top of their industry. But when disruption is, is literally always around the corner and, and sneaking up on you. Uh, if you look back over the past few years and ask yourself genuinely, how often was I surprised? Mm. And, and this could be surprised by something like COVID. It could be surprised by something like a competitor who did something you never expected. It could be surprised by uh, somebody who came from nowhere in your industry. Well came from nowhere as far as you're concerned. Everybody else has been watching them coming for years. Yeah. Uh, but something happened that surprised you. And if, if you're honest with yourself and you've got a nice long list of things that surprised you, well, then maybe you need to learn to think like a futurist.
0: Um, it's also a funny thing with this futurism and futuristic thinking and kind of implementing change and looking at what the, what the territory ahead might look like because – there's no surefire way. It's a bit like predicting the weather. You kind of watch the storm and it moves in a certain direction, but you can't guarantee there's going to be rain. Mm. And, you know, we always say meteorologists, meteorologists are liars and they always get it wrong. The fact is the times they get it right, we don't give them credit. Mm. When they get it wrong, we're all upset and angry with them. Um, is the same true for futurism?
1: It's a nice analogy, actually, because uh, a meteorologist has to look short-term. Yeah. So they they kind of can spot what's happening in the weather over the next few days. Then they've got long-term trends that they can look at. And then, of course, with things like climate change and so on, they can begin to anticipate maybe the long-term chain, trends are changing. And so you've got those three things always working together. What's happening in our immediate future that we can anticipate. So for a business, that might be the next few months, the next few years. What are the long-term trends of our industry? And then what are those, uh, in futurism, we call it uh, weak signals. What are Mm. the things just on the horizon that might be nothing, but if they are something, they could change everything.
0: All right. You've put out two really incredible videos, which I would uh, encourage people to go and have a look at on YouTube. The first one is what to expect in 2024. And without giving away everything in the video or too much of what you're going to be writing about in your book, just give us some top-line ideas of what you think we should be paying attention to as the year proceeds. I mean, already January seems to have been a blur. Yeah. But uh, this is going to be a big year of change all over the world, isn't it?
1: Well, there are two places to start, and I wish I could start at both because they are the the, the sort of small which could then go to the big, or they the big which could go to the small. Maybe let's start uh, with both, and I'll try and pull both together. So uh, this year you've got a. About 70, it's just short of 70 countries having elections. 4.3 billion people it's more qualify. than
0: half of the world's population.
1: First time ever in history. Are
0: deciding their destiny. Exactly. L- very literally.
1: Exactly. Now, some countries we already know the results. Russia, um, <laughs> yep. for example. Uh, some of them are… Really?
0: It's going to be Putin again? Uh, what? <laughs> hey, surprise, <laughs> surprise.
1: Uh, India, you'd be very, very surprised to think it won't be Modi again. <laughs> it will be Modi again. Uh, yes, of course it will. Um, the UK, you can probably think that Labour's going to have to really well, d-
0: let's, uh, pull let's, a lion's let's bet, rugby number. You know, <laughs> people, you're a meteorologist of, uh, of human behaviour. <laughs> so let's place some bets, and then we'll we'll recalibrate our bets uh, uh, as we go through uh, the year. Why not? We and get at the together. end of the year, we'll sit down, and one one of us will have to give the other one some money.
1: Yeah, uh, you know what? I I think that that UK one's going to be a lot closer than people think. Um, I think there's own goal potential there dramatically. Well, all the conservatives have
0: done in the last six years is just own goals.
1: Yeah. And they are still not collapsing when you look no, at the it shows polls. you the state of labor. Well, exactly. And exactly. of, of
0: the, the liberal Democrats who've just faded into nothingness. But, yeah. but, yeah. I, but I digress. Uh, no, okay, no. So but got-
1: but you're, making, you're making my point for me. So if we look at the big picture here, there's big elections going on. Most Trump-Biden, of those seem- what are we thinking? I'm not even going there because I'm because well I don't know is it going to be Trump or Biden?
0: Sneezes, we all
1: catch a cold. Oh no, no, it matters. It, It absolutely matters. I'm just not yet convinced it's going to be Trump versus Biden. And if it is Trump versus Biden, I'm not sure we know enough yet uh, to know which way it goes. Obviously, we, we can put a pin in it. We can say what date uh, we're doing our talking and what we know. And that's part of the job of a okay. futurist. What do we know today? What do we think might happen? But Garrett, this is the point, right? We're building scenarios. So the scenario, we're not trying to predict what will happen. We're trying to get people to ask what would happen if... It's a slightly different question, but it's an important distinction. So it's almost
0: the second degree of change. Yeah. So we, we don't need to necessarily guess the first change yeah. accurately yeah. every time, but what we need to do is look at what could happen after that as a consequence of that Yeah. and look at many different scenarios.
1: Yeah. Well, so here's the thing. You can spend a lot of time personally and planning for your own life or with your team and your business, you can spend a lot of your time trying to get certainty. Who's going to win the election? What's going to be the price of oil? What's going to be the currency exchange rate, Uh, et cetera, et cetera. Or you could say, there are three possible scenarios, four, five possible scenarios, if the one happens, this is what we'll do. If another one happens, we'll do something else. And then you are much more prepared for whatever might happen. Mm. Because if you, if you spend all your time trying to be certain and you've only got one plan, what happens if that doesn't happen? What happens if the future looks, looks different? And here's where we go to the flip side of my conversation. I think we're living at a remarkable moment in human history, a moment that history itself will look back on. And we'll probably have a name for it because I, I think we're in between big eras and we're making a big shift. And What, the,
0: what are those two eras that we're moving out of and into? Uh,
1: well, I, I'm not sure what we're moving into because it hasn't arrived okay, yet. But, wh- but what you- we're moving out of is we've spent the last 250 years with two big principles in place, capitalism or communism. And there's an Attempt to give a compromise with socialism in the middle. And I think all of those systems have failed in the sense that they haven't delivered what they promised to deliver. Well it's which is, always been
0: the case for communism. I can't I can't say that's true for capitalism. Well I think mean, capitalism uh, has has pulled more people out of abject poverty than any other system in human history. Sure. And it's not even close. And and well, so is communism in China. No, but so, that's not a communist system. Sure, but that, then
1: so. neither, neither is American a capitalist system, because it's capitalism on the way up and socialism oh, on the way down. Okay, no, and All so right. that—but yeah. that's the point, right? So we're not disagreeing sure. here. We're, we're saying that you've got these two ideologic, ideological principles, neither think, of which. You think
0: that argument's not over? People are tired of it. We need to move into a new di- a sort of new uh, dichotomy, a new uh, form of. of, of defining the human behavior? I
1: think something is trying to emerge. So we're reaching a point, and I think this is why some of the elections in the world are difficult to call at the moment. Because, I mean, let's come back to, to South Africa. Uh, people who have been lifelong committed to the ANC for great reasons. I mean, look what the ANC delivered in terms of uh, liberation from apartheid and so on. People are finding it very difficult to say, are these my boys? (laughs) Are these still the people I should vote for? It's become
0: embarrassing now.
1: And, And then on the other hand, anybody who says, well, if I'm not voting for the ANC, who do I vote for? Because the... Opposition parties are not necessarily showing a new way of thinking. Mm. They're either stuck in old ideologies Mm -hmm. or they're sort of somewhere in between. They're so fluid you don't quite know what they will do if you give them any power. Um, personally i still think uh, the best uh, political party if i were starting a political party and i and if if you're really keen guys i've i've got the best uh, political advice for anybody start a political party in south africa called none of the above i'm absolutely sure you'll get more than <laughs> half the votes if you literally <laughs> Just by
0: default because people will look at the ballot exactly, paper go to the ballot bottom, paper yeah, ideally
1: right. you 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 no, put it at make idea. sure it's at the bottom i i think <laughs> it would be the perfect
0: because but you you are so right like nobody is yeah massively passionate about Action SA or yeah. Musi Maimane or Rise South Africa, Rise Mzanzi or or even the, yeah. the DA, EFF uh, and, and the rest of the small parties. Yeah. No one's going, wow, these are the best. These no. are the guys, the answer to all of our
1: problems. But I, I skipped your question a moment ago because I wanted to bring it back. Now, imagine you're in America. I think we've got the same problem. Do I vote for Trump or Biden? None of the above, please. In the UK, do we I'd vote rather for Tories our, or Labor? I'd None rather of the have above, our
0: problems. Please. Frankly, I'm, no, I agree with in, you. In, in so many ways, and we have lots of problems. I'm by no means sticking my head in the sand and saying we're a great place, and I'm some kind of patriot. But I think you'd agree, where mm. there are problems, and we have lots of those, yeah. there are people who can solve those problems and get very rich off solving those problems. Yeah. At the same time as making the world a better place, they yeah. they do not have to be mutually exclusive.
1: Agreed. And honestly, I, I do think that uh, a lot of South Africa's problems have quicker solutions than some people think, if we just had different people in place with slightly different incentives. But that's where we are. If you, That's not just a statement of election 2024. I think that's a statement of history at the moment. Okay. We've got options, new options, different options, better options, some driven by technology, okay, some but, but driven you by you different it's, shifts.
0: It's unclear what they are. Well,
1: it's unclear it's still, it's, exactly it... how to get there. I, I think we all know what we want. So
0: it's all still very hard to pin down at this yeah. point. Yeah. But do you do you get a sense of what those things may be? Do you get a sense of where ideas and people and and structures are coalescing into something meaningful, as opposed to just being opposed to something, which is where we've come from?
1: Yeah. I I think there are some clues and hints uh, around. Uh, At the bottom line, and this is stealing a line from the ANC, but it's a good one. It's we want a better life for all. Mm -hmm. And so what does better mean? What does life mean? What does for all mean? And I think most of us agree on that. We say that better doesn't just mean having more money. Better means having more health, having more uh, relationships, having more time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So none of us want to be locked in a cage and given all the money in the world, but now you have to sell your soul for 18 hours a day. So we're not taking a the,
0: week, the so. universal basic income world economic forum idea of you will own nothing and you will be happy. We're not buying that.
1: Well, I like to be happy. I'm not sure owning nothing is the, the right way to get there. But we want, we want to be happy and we want to work out what happiness means. Mm. And I think most people would prefer to have the freedom to do that rather than be told yeah what happiness looks like you will conform and the beatings will continue until morale increases nobody wants that so i think there's a bit of freedom involved in it personal uh freedom but obviously freedom has responsibilities with it and if if i am free and happy but my neighbor isn't i i think we've still got a problem so there are it's not just about everybody can do whatever they want it's everybody is free to do what makes them happy and what enhances the happiness of others. And we've got to get those two things in balance. Again, not mutually exclusive either. Exactly, exactly.
0: Um, Do you think that there is a move towards people thinking more locally than nationally and internationally? Because what we've seen is a proliferation through the latter part of the 20th century of – supranational bodies, the United Nations, the World Economic Forum, mm. the World Health Organization, uh, summits with G20, G18, G35, whoever it is that they decide to include in any given way, space of time. Uh, we also saw the, the, the establishment of the EU, for example, um, the African Union. These are, these are bodies which have become unwieldy and, and ineffective. And nobody's taking them seriously anymore. They may have been built with the best of intentions mm. and they may have created a cobbled together version of an economic block in some ways, but it's these are not operable anymore. And maybe local government is what people should be looking at more and more, sort of a federalized way of doing things where your own neighborhood, then town, then municipality or city or greater metro, then province in that order are your priorities? Do you see a a localization starting to take place?
1: Again, I think anything we choose, whether it's uh, governance or economics or uh, fitness or relationships, I think we're going to find that it's a both end of local and global. Uh, You cannot survive entirely locally. No place on earth has got all the food, all the resources, everything they need. There must be some engagement with the world around you. But I, I agree with you uh, to an extent that this is, I think, part of why I you're suggest. your
0: bets a little bit here. No, 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 I'm
1: not. I, I, I think you're right <laughs> in the sense that we, uh, the systems that we try to put in place over the last hundred years, are not working for us. Uh, anymore. Okay, well, what about um, – But about? new systems need to emerge. So it's not as if we destroy all the systems. Right. Everybody goes so back to their own throw farm. the baby
0: out with the bathwater, is
1: what you're I, No, well, sometimes you need to remove something so that some new thing can emerge in its place. Okay, and
0: but we're trying to identify trends here. So correct. It, uh, it's not helpful for either of us to be going, well, this is what we think, but also – True. Do you know what I mean? True. So what about populism? Because we see a rise in that. We see yeah. a rise in, and I think this is almost a, a, a byproduct, an unforeseen consequence of COVID is that it's awakened in people a rebelliousness and a desire to see the old systems collapse quicker and, and, and with greater haste. Than before, do you feel that's part of the trend that we're going into? too?
1: Agreed. So let me let me not not hedge and say I I do think that people want to have something more local. They want to feel that the place I live and where I live is secure. It's safe. It's a place I can build my life uh, and 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 be happy and successful there. Um, that's going to require everybody in that space, whether it's a suburb mm-hmm. or a community or a city, to feel the same way. If, 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 if a majority of people or a, or a significant chunk of people are left out of that, uh, we haven't solved the problem yet. And that's where populism comes in. So populism is always throughout history. Another word for it maybe is fascism, which is a mob strong- rule? Democracy. Yeah. A strong person emerges and says, hey, we've got a problem. You can feel it. I can feel it. The problem is others. The problem is other people yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. That's dangerous. Who,
1: who, who are different to us. Um, and so I will come in. I am your solution. We're going to focus just on people who look and feel like us. We're going to make it work for us, and uh, you know, screw the others. And I think there's a that's where we are at the moment. That's what's happening. It's a backlash so to the problems, and it's the foundation of what we need to build in the future. That sounds
0: a lot like a jump to the right, and I don't. We're not doing a horror, horror Rocky Horror Picture <laughs> Show dance here, but we've we've done a jump to the left, and for the last twenty years or so the world has been inexorably moving towards quite leftist systems and ideas, and you could see it in governments all over the world. And it feels like, again, that wheel turns, hmm. and now we're doing that knee-jerk to the right, which is, you know, what happened in Brazil, Hungary, yeah. Poland. Argentina. Argentina. Yeah. And, and maybe that's – it could be an overcorrection, and we could go too far, and we know what happens when the right goes too far. And We haven't quite defined, as Jordan Peterson often says, what happens in the left goes too far. But let's move out of politics, because for a lot of people, this is all very philosophical and boring. Let's talk about your other video, which is really helpful, like the changes to the workplace in 2024. And this is where companies pay you money to help them figure out what to do. How do you see that changing? Because we've been through seismic changes in the workplace. You know, people, there are still people somehow working at home, and in some businesses you can, but- Largely, I think we've gone back to a 2019 setting. Mm. What's the next chapter for the workplace?
1: So in most workplaces for a number of years, long before COVID and then during COVID, people were saying uh, work-life balance. It's been the phrase that's been used for a long time, probably uh, since uh, the 1990s and the younger generation came in and really said to the boomers, hey, can't we do this differently? Uh, But I honestly, I don't know about uh, you, Gareth, I don't see it. Uh, We talk about it, but I'm seeing companies really, really pushing their people. Uh, A lot of the return to office after COVID was not about doing it better or it being better. It was a lot more about managers saying, I want to be able to supervise you more closely because I want to be able to get more out of you. Even though they admitted they got a hang of a lot more out of people than they expected to during COVID. And too many companies are still having a return to office conversation in other words, uh, let's recover from COVID conversation rather than thinking about this conversation as a future of work conversation. What's the competitive advantage you could get in creating a flexible workspace that genuinely delivers productivity, yes, but also this thing we've been talking about, but not getting well-being? Um, I, yeah.
0: Have you got an example of some, some company, some place that is getting it right?
1: Unfortunately, not many' yeah. um, it's, um, it's really hard yeah
0: and and sometimes it's not because the managers are just trying to be managers and you know micromanage everybody's lives and output, but also because people are very poorly disciplined and don't actually know how to govern themselves.
1: I, I suppose that's true in some places i'd I'd argue if you have a few people like that, it would be better to replace them rather than police them. yeah, um, but that's maybe a different conversation for another day i I'm very worried uh, about companies that are really, really pushing for squeezing their people to get the most out of their people, rather than understanding the science behind getting the best out of your people. So a a simple example, and it's not a perfect example, but it might help people to understand what I think is going to be one of the biggest workplace trends in the next year or two, is we all know for sure that sleep is important. Mm. Not everybody needs the same amount of sleep. Some people have got issues with sleep. That means uh, they've got, uh, you know, they don't fit into normal bell curves. But if we're just talking about the normal 80% of the population, most of us are not getting enough sleep at the moment. And uh, a lot of that's due to the fact that if we can work from home, that means we're always at work even though we might be yeah. at home. Yeah. Uh, we take our work home. You've, you've got a, a phone in your pocket or your handbag. Yeah. That means your boss can always contact you. And um, yeah, your boss says you need to be at the office, but then your boss also wants to be at home with you. And you get a message asking you why you didn't respond to the email uh, and you check when the email was sent. It was sent at five o'clock on Friday and now it's eight o'clock on Monday and they're saying you've had three days to answer, Um, whereas you've actually only had three minutes of office time. So there's all of these things going on. We don't need to paint the scenario. Everybody knows it and feels it. And what we are going to be seeing in the next year or two is we're going to be seeing serious stress-related illnesses in the workplace. Uh, People whose that stress in their body, that lack of sleep, that lack of time off in recovery uh, is going to really impact them. Mm. And uh, that's is the ultimate impact. But before then, you've got an impact on bad decision-making. You know if you're tired, you make bad decisions, you're grumpy with your team, you cause issues at the the workplace that you shouldn't have had to cause. Interestingly, research shows us that uh, lack of sleep is also linked to ethical failures. People who just decide, well, you know, don't worry about it today. Turn a blind eye get, to some, some serious accounting
0: corruption or yeah. fraud. Or,
1: or, or you just do something. A supplier asks you for something. You're not thinking straight because you're a bit tired. We, we you just know let this, it happen. We, we're
0: so stupid because we yeah. know this. There are, there are all those metaphors and, and and comparisons that we make of, you know, you don't know how someone can sleep at night doing what they've done. Yeah. And it's true that you can't sleep if you have ethical and moral dilemmas. Correct. If you've done bad things. You don't sleep because it's bugging you, keeping you awake. Your brain won't go to sleep. Your subconscious won't let you uh, just put this away.
1: And even if there's just stress in your relationships, it doesn't have to be with a partner or a spouse or kids. It can just be with an employee. You shouted at somebody when actually, as you think about it, you didn't really need to. So there was stress in the air all day. And now you get home and you can't sleep because you like the person, you like your team, but you've stuffed up I've a little bit. i never
0: felt that way in my life. <laughs> Maybe just me. <laughs> <All> <laughs> anyway. Right, so, no, I think that's so, a good point. So health in the workplace,
1: sleep. Yeah. So, so. Here's one of my fun games as a futurist. Mm-hmm. What we do is we jump forward into the future and we say, okay, there's a topic we understand. We need a little bit more well being. Sleep is part of well being. Jump into the future. What if we started measuring how well people slept and we link their bonus to that measurement? So, I. We can create a dystopian version, a black mirror version of wow. this future, where kind of the sleep police come around and arrest you if you don't sleep. I don't mean it that way. Obviously, anything can be done to such an extent that it becomes problematic. Sure. But if we think about the intent behind it…
0: I, I just I fear, I, I, just between your dystopian version and where you're going with the best possible version, which I have no doubt you you have some good ideas around… There's this area where HR managers are suddenly prying (laughs) and looking at your vital statistics and determining you didn't get enough sleep that much, and then you don't get your bonus, and then it makes you sleep even worse. I think this is dangerous territory, but... It but is. Give me give me the best case. Scenario. No, but
1: no, no, but this is exactly the point of the conversation. I was hoping that you would respond like that because I think that's a natural response. What you've done is precisely what our brains are programmed to do. So our brains, if you remember, I said there's experience, there's expertise, there's education. But there's also that fight or flight, that that instinct that keeps you alive. Cynicism. uh, Yeah, well, Well, and that's a good instinct. The worst possible
0: case scenario. Correctly.
1: It's there to say, I don't know what that shadow is, but I think it could kill me. So I'm not going to sit around and debate the philosophy of what I think – just happened in the bush there, I'm going to either fight it or run away right now. And our brains are programmed to do that, even in the modern, sophisticated, technology-driven world. So that's not a problem. You're absolutely correct that we could have a very nasty version of, let's call it the sleep police. Mm. You've got to allow yourself to have that conversation and say, right, there is a dangerous version of this. Then you put that to the side and say, But what's the best possible case of this? The best possible case is that we realize that we can get the best out of our people by building recovery into the system. Whether it's the sleep police or not, maybe that's gone too far. But if you think of a professional sports person, one of the reasons South African rugby team won the World Cup is because for the last six years, our management team, our coaching team has realized the forwards don't have 80 minutes of play in them. They've only got 60 minutes. Hmm. So ask them to give everything. Ask them to leave nothing. But after 60 minutes, they're done. And you take them off and you replace them. Now, why couldn't we bring that attitude into the corporate workplace where people are saying Hmm. there must be a limit as to how much you can give us. Each person's going to have a slightly different limit, just like every rugby player's got a slightly different limit. A good manager, good coach, sure. is going to know who's got what limit, how to get the best out of them, and when to just give them a gap, give them a, a break. And this is what I think this four-day work week is all about. I think it's a really bad label because it means that Everybody thinks, oh, must I now give my staff a long weekend every weekend? Yeah. It isn't about that. It's about forcing you to imagine that you've got four days of 100% give your everything. And you've probably got one or two days of just recover a little bit. Doesn't mean stay at home. Doesn't mean, you, you know, fridge, TV, bed time. Yeah. But it just means we got to realize as human beings we've got limits And there is science behind how to give the most and the best. And then when we are drained so much that we can't anymore. I genuinely, I wish this was a prediction. It's just a hope at the moment. I hope people have this conversation with more intention this year in their workplaces.
0: I think that's fascinating stuff. Um, Do you think that there are other trends around the way people behave? Business, social media is a great indicator of you know, we've got this research tool now, which must make futurists like you very happy because people are constantly inputting all kinds of relevant and irrelevant information about their lives, the way they behave, the things they're interested in, what they actually do on a day to day basis. There's more information than ever before, but actually understanding and interpreting that information is very, very much more complicated.
1: And, and I think that heads into maybe a, a second massive trend. No, no surprises here, no prizes for saying, you know, AI is still going to be the big news of this year. It was the technology of the year last year. But what AI really is, is IA. So it's not artificial intelligence. It isn't actually intelligent, but it's intelligent assistance. So we've now got these massive sets of data some of that data is bad. Some of it's good. Most of it is fuzzy. And what we need in our organizations is we need the ability to work out which data needs to be rejected because yeah. it's rubbish. What data is really worth drilling down in and how, how we get through the fuzziness. And I don't think that's a technology only solution. I think that's Uh, what I like to call a bionic organization, bionic going all the way back to the $6 million man, if you remember that. You know, half of him was, was robotic, half of him was machine, half was human. And that's what I think we should be doing. Too many companies are thinking of automation, And replacing people with technology, I think we should be talking a lot more about augmenting humans with technology. How do humans and technology work together? Because I think we are still better at human beings of sifting through the fuzziness of data. Good data, we can identify. Bad data, once we've identified it, we can ignore that fuzziness. We need technology and people to work together to get the value out of that.
0: Well, when you brought up technology now, and AI is obviously the you know the subject everyone's most interested in, but do you think that there is a there is a counter movement there? We were talking about political counter movements just a minute ago, for people who are choosing to remove themselves from so much technology. Now, you don't want to be a luddite. You don't want to completely uh, close yourself off from the the, the the amazing advantages that modern technology has brought mm. us. Uh, but that you almost need, like with everything else, to temper it with the real world and with those things that make us human, uh, the connections we have with other human beings, looking after your health, making sure you're not on the phone or the screen the whole time, you know, how that's going to ultimately change humanity yeah. as a futurist's real job because we look at the, 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 the man, the bionic creature the, that you talk about. And, and it can be quite scary for people. Do you think there's a movement away from constant technology? <sighs>
1: Yes, every now and again, you've got somebody who says, I'm going off of social media uh, and all the rest. And (laughs) if they're celebrity, they get called out because 18 hours later, they make their next post. Um, And so many examples of that. I think it's very difficult to opt out of technology in the world that we live in, unless you opt out of the world, um, and then you're probably not in our conversation. I I think where people are at the moment is, is, well, and again, maybe this is more the futurist who's hoping that people will listen to him and do this stuff rather than predicting it will happen. But I think we're moving, and this is part of that era shift, to a point where people say, I don't just have to be jump into the technology river and be carried along uh, by, by, by the currents. I can choose. And we need to be finding what is technology good for. Let me give you a practical example. So most schools spent most of last year banning ChatGPT. Oh really? Um, yeah, most schools are saying, "Well, you can't use ChatGPT." Because people are cheating. ChatGPT is cheating. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it goes. I, I, I'm older than you. I, I was one of the first matriculants to be able to use a calculator at school. My grandfather, who was a <laughs> uh, had been a, a maths was teacher and, and was an inspector of education, he was horrified. He thought the end of the world had come. He thought that all future generations would not know even how to count. And and of course, he said, "Well, you." won't always have your calculator with you, which was a lie, because we we take our calculators to the toilet with us these days. Um, and what we discovered was he was exactly 100% wrong, yeah. that what we did by giving people calculators, and they didn't have to learn how to use a slide rule and a log table, is we brought everybody up to a higher right. f- baseline. And schools have got to spend this year not trying to work out who's cheating by using ChatGPT, but changing their educational style to include Mm ChatGPT and make sure that we train young people exactly what ChatGPT is useful for and how to use it well, and then what the limits of ChatGPT are. And there there are a few lawyers in South Africa who could have known about that in this past year because they've had to have big slaps on their wrist because they've come to court with ChatGPT-driven nonsense. And And, uh, and let's just be
0: clear, like you said it earlier, it's not intelligent. A lot of very obvious mistakes are made by AI. And we're still at the foundational phase of this.
1: Yeah. I'm not saying it won't be perfect in the future. Who knows? 20 years from now, uh, we'll look back and we say, yeah, remember the floppy disk version of ChatGPT? Well, yeah. It's like when people
0: first figured out that, you know, you can prevent a disease by getting a little bit of it. And they started sort of wiping bacteria into open sores. (laughs) Many people died, but we did develop... Ultimately, a couple of, of vaccines and Correct. cures out of it. Correct. It just takes a little while. I think we're at the yes. open wound stage now.
1: Yeah, I don't, and and look, things are <laughs> things are moving quickly, and uh, you know, there's there's we can see where we where we're going, uh, but I don't fall into the category of people who are scared of it. On the face of it, you know, all of these, I, I love these guys who've all gone off to Davos recently, you know, Sam Altman telling us, this is going to kill everybody, this is going to destroy yep. the world, uh, but please sign up for $20 a month uh, subscription. Right. Thank you anyway. Um, uh, no, we, we've got a great tool, one of the most powerful tools ever created by human beings that's still in its infancy, it's, a, it's an axe of a tool, but it's a tool. And we need to be training people to use it. Okay, so that's schools. Uh, any business people listening to this, what does that mean in your business? Yeah. And again, uh, so many companies, the IT and compliance departments have come in and have said, no, you can't use ChatGPT on the work computer. And then, you know, people are using it on their phones and at home. Um, and it, the most fascinating example of this, uh, the, uh, they changed their policy very soon after this mistake. But Apple had told people they weren't allowed to use ChatGPT. And then in, I think it was June last year, Tim Cook uh, was doing a, a, a video conference and it was clear that he had been using ChatGPT as part of the preparation, kind of a screenshot behind him, or maybe it was a reflection in his yeah. glasses. Oh. or something, and you just think, well, if the CEO's using ChatGPT while he's telling the company they can't, something's gone wrong. Something's wrong. wrong. And so that's where we find ourselves. We find ourselves with a great tool that you can still do massive damage with if you don't know how, how to use it properly. And we got to spend a but lot of same 2024 to the thing is true of
0: a combine harvester. Well, exactly. You know. Exactly. And and <laughs> what are we going to stop using combine harvesters Precisely. because someone once drove over someone with one.
1: Yeah. But this now all of these themes start to to link together. So if your people in your business have to spend 100% of their time, and let's be honest, it is about 110% of their time you're asking them for because nobody's ever finished a to-do list by Friday or Saturday or even Sunday. If you're asking people and you're squeezing them to get the most out of them, where do they find the hour or two to just improve their chat GPT skills? So it's like saying, let's use your analogy. It's like saying to somebody, wow, we've just got a combine harvester. Uh, We don't have time to train you how to use it, but it's brilliant. Uh, Who wants to go first? Um, And you just throw them in and you say, well, please make sure you've plowed this whole field by the end of the day. Um, You know, (laughs) without being grotesque about it, people are going to die. And uh, I think in the workplace, people are going to come very, very short in this coming year if they don't. Just take a step back from that efficiency, productivity, every hour counts approach and step back to say we're at a moment in history. We're just pausing for a second. We're just stepping back, developing a few extra skills, thinking a little bit more. The type of stuff I know you like to do on the show where you invite people to come and say, help us think this through. Uh, That's what we need to be doing more of.
0: And I think that universities have let us down a little bit in this respect. Maybe you have some comments on that because they used to be places like incubators for ideas and places for debate. And they've become quite monolithic and And, and you know, talk about diversity, but we're not talking about diversity of ideas. Universities have become kind of predictable and they used to be the place where all the cool things were happening. The great conversations were taking place, the big ideas were being threshed out and and, and figured out and, and I can't help thinking that that's changed. The, the gig economy also is changing. We, we got so used to that being the default. Maybe there are some people who've also realized like, no, I'm actually good at the corporate stuff and we need those people. Do you have any comments on either the universities or the, the job market? Lots. <laughs> Go on. This
1: is yeah, why, we, that's why I,
0: we got you here. No,
1: well, it, it, exactly. I think you and I would probably have quite a difference of opinion around the, the, the universities. I, I, think, I don't think universities have lost their way. I think universities have always been a place w- that is supposed to be at the cutting edge of the debates that society is, ha- is having. I think in the professional faculties, uh, the faculties that some uh, at this time of year, some neoliberals always uh, pop up from the woodwork and say, if, if you're not doing engineering, medicine, law or business, you're wasting your time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, those guys, uh, they're, a, they're a factory for the modern uh, factory. Uh, so they, they produce the people that those industries want. Yeah. And, um, but that's really actually, to be honest, not what a university is supposed to be doing. A university is supposed to be where the liberal arts are taking place, exactly what you've said, uh, where it's supposed to be the philosophy departments that take a, a lead. That's why the top degree you can get from a university is called a PhD, a philosophy doctorate, uh, because in any Industry, Whether you're coming from law, engineering or medicine, by the time you get to the top of the academic rungs, you're supposed to be in the big thoughts, the big ideas, not coming out as a worker bee uh, for, for the law firm or the engineering firm. And so I, I think universities, yeah, I, I think maybe they've let the, the students, you know, the, the inmates are running the asylum just yeah. a little bit. Just a little bit. Yeah. But, I mean, I was at, at Wits in the 1990s, and uh, we were kind of doing that uh, in an anti-apartheid uh, type approach. I, yeah. Went went to school at a school that was opposite Witt's campus through the 1980s. And uh, it didn't look as if much lecturing was taking place on right. campus. And so universities have always been a place where that younger generation have an opportunity to come and butt heads with the existing establishment, discover new ideas about the world, and come up with new ideas. I think this loops back to the point I was making earlier. I don't think we know where we are in history. We're at the end of something and we're sort of, upset about that and we, we're railing against it and we're pushing back against the left which might have gone too far and the right which might have gone too far and we don't quite know where we are the solution is not just to find a middle we, we've got to take a step now we've got yeah, to because
0: the middle is meaningless right
1: exactly and and there is no compromise between it, it it's like the ending of slavery it's, well it's
0: what? splitting the difference if something's yeah. good and something's bad Splitting the difference doesn't give you any kind of moral Or if two direction.
1: things are both bad, even then worse, splitting even, even worse. worse. So you know? right, so should, so anyway, so so I think that the future of universities is not saying university is not important, but it's about getting back but you, to But we saying, can't
0: be churning out more lawyers. Please. No,
1: I agree. Right? I agree. We've got to be First of churning out… we're setting
0: out. those people up for misery because it's a miserable profession. And I say that with love. I studied it and I've got friends in it and family in it. But… <laughs> We've got enough lawyers. And frankly, the only people who make money out of everyone else's misery are lawyers. So enough. Uh, There are obviously all kinds of new jobs that are making themselves uh, useful and and, and that are providing all kinds of efficiencies in the economy, which we didn't have before. What would you say if if you had a kid who was just finishing high school now and they didn't know what to study and without being... Conscientious about what their talents or interests might be. If they were completely blank slate, Mm. what sort of area would you want to suggest they go into for maximum utility in the economy going forward?
1: So I'm going to add, even if they think they know what they want to do, okay, I'd I'd give very similar advice. Go on the. For the kid who's who's really, since the age of nine, have always wanted to be an engineer, it's clear that that's what they should do. I would still say you've got to do two things in addition to whatever else you think you want to do. The first mm-hmm. is you've got to push yourself to the technology edge of whatever it is you you think you want to do. So if you want to become an engineer, if you want to become a lawyer, if you want to become an accountant, where's the technology edge of that? Right. In in engineering, um, it, it's in the green revolution, it's in battery technology, it's in drones, it's in uh, automation and robotics. Similar answers are there for medicine. So push yourself. If you don't know what you want to do, Add technology to, to whatever you study, cool. uh, whether that's coding, robotics, whatever. Second thing that you want to do uh, is you want to make sure that you include subjects that help you think better. Now, there's lots of subjects that help you think better. Uh, everything from history to philosophy, but there are some universities that actually teach thinking. I don't know why we don't teach thinking as a subject um, Mm. in terms of, you know, overcoming cognitive bias, dealing with the way in which our brain actually works. Just Mm. understanding how your brain works helps you to realize what mistakes you make on a daily, hourly basis in, in your thinking. Our ability to engage with people we disagree with, uh, without collapsing in the conversation. Uh, you know, these, these are things we need to learn how to do. And, uh, some people have learned how to do it well. And most people just put all caps on and shout, um, uh, and don't know how to do it. So again, if you're planning to become a, a lawyer, I suppose that's part of lawyering. Um, <laughs> but, you know, if you're, if you're a doctor, if, if you're an engineer, you still need all of those. If you don't know what to do, but you study a degree which helps you to think better and helps you to understand technology, mm-hmm. anything else you do in there is, is bonus and for fun and enjoy it. And, and get a good education and I, I think you will discover a career emerges because the, the lines between industries no longer exist. Banks love to employ engineers just because of the way they think. Right. Um, as you say, most lawyers don't practice true legal stuff and well I'm a I'm a failed accountant auditor. I started at KPMG. But it, it taught us a way of doing things and then we head out into whatever careers available for us.
0: What do you think we've had enough of and it's time to move away from? Because as much as the future is about looking at new things and finding out what opportunities might arise as a result of technology, human evolution, the development of theories and, and and economic ideas. But there are also things that we need to leave behind. And that's very difficult for human beings because we don't like change, first of all, but we mm. also hate loss. Mm. We hate loss. So if we've grown up in a world where, you know, the mobile phone is an essential piece of our, our of our, our personal equipment that we carry around with us, we wouldn't even go to the loo without having it in our hand. Yes. What can we start getting rid of? What kinds of... What artifacts of, you know, the 20th century life, even the, the, the first decade of the, of the 21st century, which is now a thing of the past, what can we leave behind, Graham?
1: What a great question. Uh, so a few practical things, and then you've, you've seen already I'm more of a philosopher than anything else, so we'll Give get us. to that. So I think we need to, and this is maybe slightly frivolous, but not really, I think we need to leave behind the keyboard, Uh, I think we are very close to being able to talk to our devices and not need this chunky keyboard there. I think we could leave behind motorcars. Uh, at least motor cars that we drive, uh, I, you know, 98% of all traffic accidents are caused by the drivers. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I think if we understood that we've got this massive integrated network now of uh, internet of things, machines that can move us around, some of them flying, some of them self-controlled, I think we could make our world a better, uh, safer space because, uh, you know, traffic is, is a massive issue. I, I think in, in the business place, I think we need to leave behind a lot of thinking about the best way to do things.
0: Mm. And
1: now I'm moving a little bit towards the philosophy because I think that is probably the biggest thing to leave behind. Let, let me give you what will feel like a trivial example, but then it isn't. My mother-in-law, who is from the north of England, believes there's only one way to make tea, and she will say if you if you go around to her house, would you like some tea? Yes. Would you like normal tea, or something else?
0: What does she mean? Well, because I, I I love talking. I could talk about tea with you for hours. Well, go so ahead.
1: normal tea. Normal tea. Do you put the milk in first or the tea first?
0: No, tea first.
1: Okay, well, for her it's the milk first.
0: Oh no! Okay, and she then, and I would not get along. She couldn't be my mother-in-law.
1: And then, uh, tea bag in the cup or tea bag in the in the teapot? Well, it
0: depends how. No,
1: no, wrong. There's only one normal tea. tea. Always the teapot. Always teapot. Of course. Okay, all right. You know. If but it's
0: it, just me on my own, I must also do it that way. Hey, you right, must.
1: Okay. Still, uh, you either, okay. you either believe in good tea or you don't. Sure. Uh, now, of course, this is an analogy, and I think the big thing we need to leave behind. Is the word normal? That each of us has a view of what's normal, of the way, and by normal I mean more—I mean normal with a capital N—the way it should be done. So, good example at this time of year: uh, there is a way hair has to be worn at school, and this week schools are off their minds about all yeah, the kids tying who've come back. Yeah. yeah, it's silly, silly rules. If you make the rule. You then have to uphold the rule and now you've created a line over which a number of kids will step and you say, oh, it's always the same old kids, but you drew the line and we can move that line. Uh, We can change what's normal in society. We've got all sorts of things in different cultures in South Africa. Um, And let me be controversial. uh, and and, and (laughs) You've got to be careful as a middle-aged, middle-class white man Uh, here, even though I have an adopted black daughter. But uh, lobola, the way we do lobola in this this country. I I
0: think it's up for debate.
1: Yeah, it is debate. I'm not saying somebody else must change their culture now and I'm not saying their culture is wrong. But you asked, what should we be leaving behind? And I think we should be saying, are there ways for us to achieve what we want to achieve as society? To build a better life for all. That's better that is a life worth living, that everybody can be engaged provided, in. Provided,
0: provided it is better, and, and correct. I'm not. I mean, you could say I'm I'm conservative politically, but in terms of social stuff, I think I'm very progressive. And, and I mean, my attitude to to people and things will bear that out. But some of the things that we've changed have not made people happier. You know, it's the Chesterton idea of if there's a fence before you break it down, find out what the fence is for. Why the fence was there, yes. But there are a lot of stupid fences we've built for no good reason Sure. to protect, I don't know, sacred ideas Mm. which are no longer relevant in our lives. And sometimes breaking down those fences has no consequence because the fence itself was put up for capricious reasons. Yeah. So in that case, you're saying abandon those things, move into the future unburdened.
1: Yes, some of the things we've got, some of the fences are there for I a mean, reason. I mean, look at what feminists then then, have
0: done, for example, yeah. in some places, especially the third wave ones. They've made women more unhappy, not less
1: I think there's lots of different examples, and I think the debate around those examples is precisely what we should be ha- having. And I think every time you break down a fence and and, and erect one somewhere else, uh, there's going to be some people happy, some people unhappy, and we need to have those those conversations about that. But if we leave behind the idea that the way I've always done it is the normal, correct yeah, sure, right way, sure. Uh, and at least come into 2024 allowing for the fact that there might be other ways to do it. Sure.
0: Otherwise, you're just dumb.
1: Well, really. I, th- I, I think so. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, there's yeah. a
0: place for tradition. And obviously, some of the reasons that we do things are because we've learned the hard way that not doing those things leads to pain and suffering. Sure. But there are also plenty of things along the way that we can discard now. You know, even um, exactly. I'm not a religious man, but it yeah. says in the Bible that there, becomes, there comes a time where a man is no longer a child, he must put away childish things. And as a species, we need to now start abandoning ideas that are no longer serving us well. Yeah. yeah.
1: Or go back to the underlying original principle that we had in place and say, that's what we're trying to achieve. So feminism is trying to achieve... I'm just picking on the fact, No, no, know, but it's a good no. example. It's a good example. Feminism is trying to achieve uh and equality and again even there as i'm starting to head into the sentence i'm realizing these words are contested sure but they're trying to give women the opportunities that men have had for centuries
0: yeah absolutely i won't disagree with you that was the case in the beginning exactly and that's what we're trying to achieve it's become a a whole lot more complicated and suddenly we have you know blue-haired women who just absolutely hate men trying to Demolish the uh, family and marriage and all of these things which have served us well.
1: Sure, and again, maybe there's an opportunity for us to say what is marriage's purpose and does it have other ways that it could achieve those purposes? Are there other forms that we could use? Yes, and as a
0: philosopher, also to to take note of the fact, and I think this is worth discussing and it's worth debate, but it's worth debate with, you know, a very sensible and sometimes unemotional uh, detachment from those comfort zones Mm. and and people thinking they're going to make themselves happier by doing X and finding themselves more miserable as a result because they hadn't thought through what the long-term consequences could be, which is why we talk to futurists. It's why I've got you in here today because we don't want to go and uh, blunder into the future, knocking everything down as we go, and then find ourselves suddenly in the middle of a swamp with no way back. Sure. Because that could happen. Human, human beings have made terrible wrong turns in history. We know what the, you know, the, the wars of the 20th, 20th century taught us. And there were plenty of wrong-footed, wrong-minded, unethical, and frankly quite evil things that we stumbled into because we were following the science.
1: We've made a lot of mistakes. The wonderful thing about history, and as a futurist, uh, there there are books that have been written about the future to speculate. There's there's no science in the future, but there is history and science in the past. And when we look back at history, the great thing I believe that we discover in history is we make lots of mistakes all the time, some of them brutally bad. And yet we keep getting better. I think No, I think if we, Our
0: trajectory is to the positive
1: Correct And w- I think we've got an opportunity That people who might Disagree ideologically We might have fundamental Different starting points mm-hmm. I, I think we need to learn To realize We are all trying to achieve The same thing Which is that the world is a better place mm. Than it was when we started
0: I think there are people who They don't they don't think of themselves as being evil. But I think there are people who are genuinely infirm of purpose or even worse, at cross-purposes with what is good for humanity. Some people are just very, very selfish.
1: Yeah, that's and true. And some people that's are
0: true. ideologues, and they're not particularly interested in the results as long as we apply the process properly. Sometimes that leads to some very unhappy consequences for humanity.
1: And I suppose the point I'm making, that that's a fair statement, i so I don't think everybody – No, what, what I don't I, think everybody's got the best of intentions yeah, it's, all it's the it's time. It's not I true.
0: To, and even, yeah. even people who have the best of intentions, sometimes their implementation yeah. is so evil and wretched that it ends up having none of the consequences they had hoped for and all of the ones that they had unforeseen yeah. or, or had I, not foreseen. The, the I,
1: bigger point I was making is that I think in the end – Society, that reaches a crisis point and society says, okay, we have to stop at that point. There there are very few examples in history where societies just reached the point of complete and utter collapse because they chose that rather than an attempt to succeed.
0: isn't that when civilizations fail?
1: Yes, and often that is, I suppose, again, that, that comes down to the decisions that they've made, the choices that they've made, and the, uh, the consequences of those play out in future generations. And that's and, well, why for me… Since we've got
0: yeah. to, sorry to interrupt you, since we got yeah. to this point and you are a futurist and, and I'm sure you're looking at what's happening, do you think that the, the US is in decline or do you think they're in… Persistent growth since the no, they're trend. in. I I in think they
1: I think they're in decline.
0: Do you think that the West, as an idea, the idea of liberal liberal democracy, Western civilization, is in decline, or do you think it's in its growth? I stage? think it's
1: in crisis. I I think that liberal democracy has failed to deliver its promise to everybody. So, if you've got money, if you've got a job, liberal democracy is a great place to live, but it's unfortunately only for a. Is it 10%? Is it 20%? Whatever the number is. So I don't think it's in decline. I think it's in crisis. And that comes back to the main point I've been trying to make, which is we're at this moment Mm. where we realize we've got to fix the system, but the system itself, it it can't take a Band-Aid anymore. It's going to need... Either something completely new emerging, full anesthesia, or and a massive operation. Something significant <laughs> is going to is going to have to happen here, and I think there's a lot of things leading to that. I'm very positive. I'm, I'm I have urgent optimism about the future. I think the choices we make in the next five years are going to set up the next century uh, ahead of us, and I think it's imperative for us to be making those choices. And I think it's in our politics, in our businesses, in our education systems in our healthcare systems uh, and i think the choices we make now are, are hugely consequential for a long period of time and our children and grandchildren after them
0: are the aliens coming
1: <sighs> you know I, I or was are
0: they already <laughs> here and by that i mean i don't mean the machine the, the the, 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 or,
1: yeah. or the lizard or people. the lizards no <laughs> no no, no. i'm being
0: i'm being obviously facetious but the reality is that a lot of people are also feeling like we're on the brink of something, but they want it to be something dramatic like they've seen in the movies. Yeah, yeah. It's good. Uh, it the, doesn't happen. As the, happen that as the way. great Eastern philosophers say, change is coming from within. Right. Sure. And, and I think a lot of people would be resistant to that change, but I think you've hit the nail on the head. Uh, you, you have to embrace the changes and you have to make sure that you know what's going on so you can make better choices yeah. going forward. Yeah.
1: We we look back in our history lessons, those that you can remember from when you were at school. We've got these labels: the Renaissance, the Enlightenment, the Reformation, just to use a few Western examples. There's dynasty changes in in Eastern uh, countries and sure. and so on. We tend to think of those as moments. You know, let's take the the Reformation, and you've got. Uh, Calvin and Luther, and sure. you think of it as one moment he nails that the the ninety five theses to the door of the cathedral, and the world changes. No, it didn't. There's fifty years and a cost of thousands involved, and and we're in that fifty year period, and there's a cost of. And millions. nobody in the
0: Renaissance knew they were in the Renaissance. No,
1: and in fact, some <laughs> of the guys in in the Renaissance. So you've you've got you've got a few people who say, hey, maybe the earth is not the center of the universe with the sun circling the earth. Maybe the sun is the center. And a few of those guys get burnt at the stake. A few yep. of them recant mm-hmm. and say, no, no, no. Uh, in their heads they're saying, nah, I'm right, but I'm, not, I'm going to recant because I don't want to die. And uh, then the Catholic Church pardons one of them 500 years later and says, yeah, okay, maybe you had a point, girl. Um And so, you know, that, that's the point. It can be difficult to be the voices in the time of history when history itself is changing. But I think although we've had a reasonably philosophical discussion, it actually does come down to the decisions that a teacher will make in her classroom about, you know what? I'm going to be the teacher who incorporates technology this year. It does come down to a team leader uh, in a business somewhere saying, I know what the company policy is and I don't want to be a rebel here, but you know what? I'm going to treat my people, my team, better than the company policy asks me to because I, I understand the science of getting the most out of people. It comes down to us in the elections of 2024, not... Just voting for the same old parties we voted for. But imagining that maybe in South Africa, coalition government, something that feels as if it's failed at city level, but we've never tried at national level. What happens if we give it a go? What happens if we say nobody gets a majority this time and you guys as politicians have to work it out? What happens if you go a step further, Gareth, and say, you know what, I'm a 26 year old, I've got a degree and I don't have a job. Maybe I should get into politics because it's about time we have 26-year-olds rather than 62-year-olds running this this country. And, uh, yeah, I think it's up to each of us as individuals. We are not just pawns in this milieu of history. We can make decisions in our lives that added up thousands and millions and billions of of decisions, change the future.
0: Well, since we've been so philosophical, perhaps if I distill some of the things you've said, and by no means is this the right distillation, but I don't think there's ever been a period of human history where the individual has been more effective and more sovereign. There is a greater chance that you as a singular person, wherever you are listening to this or watching this, can make a difference in the world than at any other time in human history.
1: Couldn't agree more.
0: And as a result, the opportunities are limitless. And so if you aren't an optimist at this point, then I'm afraid that you'll always be miserable no matter what you have because it's all right here.
1: And, and I think optimism is a choice. Optimism is not I look at the world around me and it's brilliant. Optimism is I look at the world around me. Yo, there's a lot to work on, but I have agency. I can do something. And mm. I can't do everything, Well, but I can do something.
0: That being the case, and I think we should wrap it up on that note because it's a happy note and it's a it's a, a positive futuristic note. Um, where can people find you? They can find out more and read your stuff and buy Graham, a book.
1: grahamcodrington.com is the oh, yeah. best place to find me. And uh, book's available, lots of other resources, and um, just launching uh, on uh, in February, uh, launching an ebook about scenarios. Awesome. Uh, for the future, uh, that's for free. People can just go and get it and use it and have these conversations with your family, your friends, your colleagues. Uh, let's build a better world together.
0: Very good. Graham Codrington, the futurist, scenario planner, and an expert on the future of work. Thank you very much, sir. It's good to see you. Thank you. Cliffcentral.com.